Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. Thank you so much for coming back for another week of travel news, travel tips, and travel chats. And today we're chatting with Angela Stribling, a multimedia talent host of the sexy weekly show, Pillow Talk with Angela, heard on WHUR-FM. And right here on Sirius XM 141. And she's an international traveler and the host of the WHUR World Tour to Fiji coming up April 27th through May 6th. We'll also have Javon's Travel Minute and the Culture Report. But right now, let's get into a little travel news. Airlines are ditching face masks on board. Yes, you heard that right. Actually, there are many COVID restrictions that are easing around the world and airlines are joining in. In Europe, countries like the United Kingdom, Iceland and Ireland are increasingly ditching masks altogether, not just on planes, but in general. And several airlines have followed suit. Now, a lot of countries are doing this. They're ditching masks in their countries altogether on board planes, but in the United States. They have extended its federal transportation mask mandate through April 18th, at least requiring face coverings to be worn on planes, in airports, buses, trains, and on other modes of transportation. But as I said earlier, this isn't the case everywhere. And actually, there's been some chatter in the industry. Will the United States extend it beyond April 18th? We will just have to wait and see for that. But let's talk about some of these airlines who have already amended their policies or ditched face masks altogether. British Airways, for example, started allowing customers to go without a mask if the destination they're flying to does not require them. The airline also requires masks on flights to destinations where they haven't been able to clarify the local restrictions. For destinations where we have established that the wearing of a face mask is not mandated, you are able to make a personal choice. And we're kindly requesting everyone to respect each other's preferences. This is according to the airline. Now, EasyJet, another UK-based airline, already eliminated mask requirements on its aircraft as of March 27th on flights where masks are no longer legally required at both ends of the route. For EasyJet, that includes most UK domestic flights as well as flights between the UK and Denmark, Gibraltar, Iceland, and Hungary. Iceland Air, the Iceland-based airline, made face masks optional on some flights as of March 23rd, just weeks after Iceland lifted all COVID-19-related travel restrictions. Masks are still mandatory on flights to and from Canada, the United States, Germany, Paris, and Zurich. Masks are optional on all other European flights, as well as flights within Iceland and to and from Greenland. Jet2, another British airline, became the first carrier to drop mask requirements back in March. Passengers are no longer required to wear masks in England or Northern Ireland, but passengers six and older traveling to Scotland must still wear them. Then there's KLM. The Dutch government eliminated the requirement to wear face masks on public transportation on March 23rd, but still require face masks to be worn on airplanes and in airports. However, KLM has vowed to stop enforcing its mask policy, telling their local news station it was disappointing that the use of face masks during boarding and during the entire flight is still being considered by the Dutch government, while this has been abandoned everywhere in the Netherlands. Norwegian Airlines, as of April 4th, mandatory face masks will no longer be required on flights across the Norwegian network due to new guidance in Europe. And as more countries loosen their mask-wearing restrictions, Norwegian will leave it up to the passengers on whether or not they will choose to wear masks while flying. The mask requirement was lifted across Scandinavia back in February. SAS, the Swedish airline, has dropped mask requirements on domestic flights as well as flights within Scandinavia, but requires them for passengers six and older on all other flights. 
For flights that require a mask, homemade masks and cloth masks are not accepted. TUI, another British carrier, allows travelers to ditch their masks, but the airline still requires them for travelers 12 and older if they are flying to or from Wales or Scotland. Passengers two and older must also wear a face covering if they are traveling to the United States, and travelers six and older must wear one if they're traveling to Italy. Virgin Atlantic has changed its mask policy as of March 16th, allowing customers to choose if they wear a face covering, including on flights to the Caribbean, like Barbados, St. Lucia, Antigua, Grenada, the Bahamas, Jamaica, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, and Trinidad and Tobago. Now, masks must be worn on the flights to and from the U.S., as well as for passengers 12 and older on flights to and from Delhi, Islamabad, Hong Kong, Johannesburg, Lahore, Lagos, Mumbai, Shanghai, and Tel Aviv, all those international flights. So let's see what happens April 18th. Let's see if it'll be extended here in the United States. So it's not just on U.S. carriers, it's any flights coming into or leaving the United States. So it doesn't matter if it's a British Airways flight or an Air France flight or any other carrier. If the flight is to and from the United States, that same mask mandate or policy must be upheld. Now, Singapore Airlines has the most luxurious plane in the U.S. and its first class suites are like hotel rooms. Yes, after a two-year hiatus during the pandemic, Singapore Airlines reconfigured their A380 aircraft and it took off from JFK to Zhangji Airport via Frankfurt on March 28th. Singapore's double-decker aircraft, the world's largest, has pushed the in-air experience to new heights, starting with its six, yeah, count of six, swanky first-class suites, which just made their much-anticipated U.S. debut. And they're being called hotel rooms in the sky. Their semi-private cabins offer 50 square feet for each passenger or a shared 100 square feet for two first-class travelers who opt to merge their suites. Each suite comes with swiveling, reclining armchairs, a separate bed. Two suites can be combined to create one large bed and sliding doors, other luxury items, and features include a wardrobe closet, cushy pajamas, slippers, Bang & Olufsen noise-canceling headphones, an amenity kit from the French luxury label Lalique, and a 32-inch HD touchscreen TV. Also, there's a handheld tablet control that controls everything from anywhere within the suite, from dimming the lights to finding the best in-flight entertainment. James Boyd, the airline's vice president of public relations, said that they took something very basic like a magazine rack and turned it into a luxury statement. So if you look at the stitching on the rack, it was inspired by Hermes Birkin bag. <laughs> or take, for example, the cultured stone over the credenza. He said these little moments of luxury are a big surprise, but also there's a storage compartment and it's lined with leather or there's a cove light that slowly illuminates as you open the door those elements of surprise they say they will show themselves in a dedicated handbag compartment so that passengers don't have to put their items on the floor there's also a blackout window and hotel style evening turndown service passengers are given the choice of dom perignon or krug champagne along with their meals, and all meals are served on fine linen and china. There's even a three-position bathroom with separate sections for a vanity, a wash basin, and toilet. So in addition to the six first-class suites, the aircraft houses 78 lie-flat business-class seats, 44 premium economy seats, and 343 economy seats. And there's a new jet that is being dubbed the Ferrari of the Skies. It's one of the fastest long-haul aircrafts in the world. Vistajet just added Bombardier's Global 7500s to its fleet. And the jet flies at 51,000 feet. Yes, the latest jet inclusion, dubbed the Ferrari of the Skies by Vistajet, gives travelers the ability to fly farther than most jets allow. 
It boasts a 7,700 nautical mile range. The global 7500s offer travelers the ability to fly routes like Singapore to San Francisco and New York to Hong Kong on a private jet. That's been a rarity in the private aviation world prior to the global 7500s debut. Bombardier's president said, within VistaJet, passengers can travel long haul on the global 7500 to 187 countries worldwide, unlocking access to 96% of the world and some of the most hard to reach areas in a single flight. This is according to an article in Travel and Leisure. So it flies at a higher altitude, up to 51,000 feet than commercial jets do. And the air is thinner there, thus allows the aircraft to fly faster and burning less fuel. Now, American Airlines is gonna add some flights. Starting in November, American Airlines will fly into Ocho Rios. Most visitors actually go into Sangster International Airport in Montego Bay or the Norman Manley in Kingston. Those are the two major airports in all of Jamaica. But American Airlines will be the first U.S. carrier to fly into Ian Fleming International Airport in Bascobel. That's Ocho Rios. The town is a little over nine miles from Ocho Rios, the home of the legendary Duns River Fall. Now, prior to this flight, you usually have to fly into Montego Bay and take a long road trip from Montego Bay to Ocho Rios. Now they have fixed the roads over the years, but I remember a long, long time ago, those winding roads that were poorly attended took in some cases two hours to get there. But this will be American Airlines 45th anniversary in Jamaica, and they're thrilled to launch their third destination on the island in Ocho Rios. And... Betty Reed Soskin, the oldest National Park Ranger, has retired. Betty Reed Soskin, the National Park Service's oldest active ranger, retired last Thursday, just a few months after celebrating her 100th birthday. Soskin spent over a decade working at the Rosie the Riveter World War II Homefront National Historical Park after joining the service full-time in 2011. The park located in Richmond, California, highlights the work and experiences of American civilians on the World War II Homefront. Soskin said to be part of helping to mark the place where that dramatic trajectory of my own life combined with the others of my generation will influence the future by footprints we've left behind. And it has been incredible. As a park ranger, Soskin led public programs with visitors and shared her own personal experiences of World War II. And she worked to highlight the untold stories of African-Americans and other people of color during the war. Soskin found her calling in the park's service and sharing her stories in her 80s. She even caught the eye of the White House and was selected to introduce President Barack Obama at the White House tree lighting ceremony in 2015. The Rosie the Riveter World War II Homefront National Historical Park will celebrate Soskin's retirement on April 16th. I'm sure she will definitely be missed to all those who took her guided tours. Well, that's all I've got for travel news. And when I come back, we'll have the sexy host of Pillow Talk on WHUR-FM, Angela Stribling and Javon's Travel Minute. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you head on over to the website, travelingculturati.com, and connect with me on social media and join that travel club because, you know, we go some fabulous places and we want to make sure that you go with us. And now, Javon's Travel Minute. Many are opting for vacation rentals, and some have had not-so-nice experiences or experiences that are completely different than what was advertised. Now, while nothing is 100%, there are some things you can do to avoid some big disappointments. Check the location, ask for landmarks, locate it on Google Maps, and check the surroundings. Some descriptions, while accurate, can be a bit misleading. So if you're very specific about your location and destination, you're going to have to do a little bit of research and some extra work on your own. You want to understand the services and amenities. 
This is very important to understand what is available to you, including beds. Just because it says sleeps eight, it doesn't mean that there are eight beds. So that's something that you want to check out. Carefully review the cancellation and change policies. Very, very important. Get travel insurance. I find that many travelers who stay at vacation rentals don't get traveler's insurance. Why not? It is still a trip. So you want to protect it and anything else that can go wrong with your vacation or something that you may need protection from. Know the rules. This too is very important so you don't get evicted. You don't want to do something that's against the rules. You have a neighbor complain or you're in violation, which means that they can evict you. Use a major company. Major companies can offer you protection and security with standards. Yes, they do come with fees, but they get fees for a reason. If there's an issue during your stay, make sure you report it right away. Document it. Take photos. You don't want to be blamed for something a previous renter did or something you did not do. Also, if you feel it's worthy of a price reduction, say so immediately and not after your stay. These are just a few tips that can save you a big headache and give you a pleasant experience. This is Javon, and that was your Travel Minute. Well, today I'm having a travel chat with Angela Stribling, a multimedia talent, host of the sexy weekly show, Pillow Talk with Angela, heard on WHUR-FM and right here on Sirius XM Channel 141. And she's an international traveler. Well, hello, Angela, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hello, Javon. I love that introduction. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's all true. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. But oh my gosh, I'm so happy to be on your show. Yeah, thank you. Great. Usually I'm on your show, so I'm always. I uh... (laughs) know. When you said Pillow Talk with Angela, I was just thinking of which you've been a guest several times and always so just informative. And it's such a sexy show about relationships and how to get it better. And you always offer really good advice. So thank you. I can't wait to have you back on it. You were just on. (laughs) So I'm happy to be back with you. You are an international traveler. Certainly you've traveled with Advantage International before and part of hosting many trips with WHUR. But even before that, you were traveling internationally and actually living abroad throughout Asia. But I think Japan is one of the ones I remember the most because you have this fabulous picture that you often use of yourself in Japan. So why, oh, why yeah. were you living abroad? Well, I'm glad you asked me that because a lot of people know me as a broadcaster, but they don't know I'm a jazz singer. And I started traveling to Asia in the early 2000s. I was living in Manhattan and my saxophonist said, hey, listen, I got this offer to perform in Asia do you want to submit your information? And liked it. It was actually sponsored by Hennessy this first time. And uh, went over there. They loved me. I loved them. That was actually in Myanmar, Burma. And from there, an agent asked if I wanted to come over there more often to sing. She goes, they obviously love you. Do you want to do this? So from that point on, I started singing in Asia for three months at a time on these different contracts. So then in 2003, this, I don't know, Javon, do you remember the movie Lost in Translation? Yes. Bill Murray. Okay, so Japan was always on my bucket list. Tokyo, actually. Just because, you know, I just had these visions of Japan and I know they love jazz. They've got so many jazz clubs. And I just lusted after just one day (laughs) performing in Japan, my agent called me and said, they want you to come to Tokyo for three months. And it was right when the movie Lost in Translation came out. So it was at the Park Hyatt. They have a jazz club at the top of the hotel. It's in Shinjuku, which is an area in Tokyo. And, you know, again, it's called the New York Bar. And that's where the woman in the red dress was singing in the movie. I went to see the movie two weeks before I left for Tokyo. So I'm so excited. (laughs) And because of that movie, all of our Hollywood, whenever they go to Tokyo to promote their movies, where do you think they'd stay? At the Park Hyatt. (laughs) And so I just uh, had such a wonderful time. Every year I'd go for three months and that was for about 11 years. So I, 
would live there for three months at a time. And inevitably, when I'm there, I mean, I would meet so many American A-list actors because they were there promoting their movies. I mean, that wasn't the main thing I liked about it, but that was a nice bonus. (laughs) Absolutely. I learned uh, a long time ago that you were a jazz singer, but I didn't know that for 11 years that you were performing and doing so internationally. And yes, absolutely. That's a bonus to be able to rub some elbows or meet some A-list actors or Oh my gosh. (laughs) It was really a bonus because, you know, I guess when they'd finish doing whatever they do, they'd come up to the top level and I was their entertainment. And that was just a bonus. But Tokyo, I even considered moving over there. I mean, of course, I'd always be an American citizen and keep my place here. But I was thinking, how could I have a dual citizenship and move to Tokyo? And that was right before that tsunami happened. And then that just kind of changed everything. I said, well, maybe <laughs> maybe I'll just stay on over here. <laughs> That's too much. They earthquakes. The earthquakes were a little bit much. But I just love the culture. I love the Japanese culture so much. I mean, it's so completely different from here and other places. You know, I spent a lot of time in Bangkok, Thailand and Hong Kong and Singapore, all these other places in Asia. But Tokyo, I don't know. I think it's the the beauty of the place, just pristine, you know, just super clean. The people, they're so respectful. For instance, just their integrity. I had taken a train and it was raining one day and I had my umbrella and a book that I was reading. I just bought this book. It was actually a book about Bob Johnson and BET and someone had sent me that book. So I'm reading the book on the train. I get back and I have forgotten the umbrella and the book on the train. So the next day I'm working out in the gym and I say to the trainer, I was like, oh man, I left my book and my umbrella on the train. He goes, oh, all you have to do is call Lost and Found and they'll get it for you. I go, yeah, right. Again, I was living in New York. (laughs) That does not happen. But I called anyway, just to see what would happen. Javon, that same day, they had someone deliver the book and the umbrella to my hotel. What? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I've had that happen in some of my travel experiences where somebody loses something and it makes its way back to you. It is amazing. Back to you. Those are the things that we love about the Japanese culture. But there are many aspects to the Japanese culture. So overall, oh, yeah. I mean, some of the things that we absolutely love about the culture can also be some of the things that drive us a little nuts because we are our culture oh, here yeah. is very different. So how did you adjust to those other aspects or everything being so, I would say, regimented and it's um, very regimented. Uh, <laughs> and Javon, it's funny you say that. One of the first things that comes to mind. So picture me. I mean, not a lot of people who look like me walking around Tokyo every year. And I've got a pretty good fan base there. So I I know a lot of people, expats, as well as Japanese friends that I've made. And so I would travel with my pianist, who was a German guy who was also And, you know, so Oliver and I would just be palling around, walking around, doing what we do. Say we're walking and we're at a traffic light nobody's looking, no cars are coming, we're going to cross the street. (laughs) Everybody else, though, the Japanese people are going to stand there and wait until the light changes. If cars are coming or not, they will obey the rules. So little things like that, I respect it. And, you know, it says a lot about who they are and their culture. But I kind of like the freedom that we have in the United States where, you know, I mean, again, if no one's looking, no cars are coming, we will jaywalk in a New York minute and think nothing of it. (laughs) But conversely, I've been driving around in the United States and people, even though the light is green, because we're so lax, people will just walk out there and dare you to hit them. So, you know, the happy medium would be nice. Little things like that are just small differences in various contexts. It could be a thing to get used to. Yeah. Well, what about being a Black female traveler? I love it. I mean, I don't mind. You know, the thing is, and Javon, I'm sure you've probably felt the same way because you travel a lot as well. When it comes down to it, we're all basically the same. We're, you know, once you get past 
language and a few cultural differences. We all want the same things. We all want to be loved. We want our families to be safe. We want to put food on the table, all those things, the basic humanity. And once you figure that out, you don't feel like a fish out of water. In my travels, you know, everywhere. I mean, I've traveled to Europe by myself, traveled to Asia. You know, as I said, I touched down in the United States for maybe two weeks and head out to Singapore for six months or hang out to Hong Kong for three months or Bangkok for three months. And again, oftentimes I'm the only Black person I'd see for long periods of time. And I love it when I do see another Black person. But when I don't, I don't feel that secluded because I'll make friends, you know, wherever I am. And there's a lot of respect. Here's, I think, the trick that I learned early on. First time I went to Japan and I went to lunch with, she's now a friend, her name is Mina. And Mina and I were becoming good friends. And she invited me out to meet some of her other friends and they were Japanese. And one day Mina and I are at lunch and we're just talking about, you know, who we're dating, blah, blah, blah. We were both single. And I said, Mina, can I say something to you? And, you know, hopefully you won't get offended. She goes, yeah, what? I said, before I came to Tokyo, a lot of my friends were saying, don't feel bad if the Japanese people don't warm up to you because they only stick to themselves. And I said, you know, I wasn't expecting to make friends, but I've got several friends who are Japanese. And she said that a lot of her American friends have said that to her, but she understands where it comes from. She goes, because don't get me wrong, if you come to Japan and probably any other culture, not embracing the culture, then yeah, you're going to be isolated and excluded. But for me, she said, you were always just very open. And, you know, I guess they appreciate that. That was a good lesson for me. I was in Italy. This was a long time ago, just on vacation. And I had gone with one of my girlfriends and we're on one of these shuttle buses. And these Texans, <laughs> they were get on the bus with their hats on and they were loud and just dogging the place. And they wanted to find hamburgers. They wanted to go to, you know, I guess a McDonald's or whatever, just loud and wrong. And, you know, you could just see the people kind of bristling. <laughs> and that unfortunately was kind of an example of you probably don't want to be all boisterous and loud and demanding that people in Italy act like the people in America. You know what I mean? It's just kind of embrace, maybe go to an Italian restaurant. You're in Italy. <laughs> exactly. And, I always say, you know, why are you traveling if you don't want to experience different places rather than yeah. just being able to say you were there? Did you really immerse yourself into the culture? Because I think one of the things with you or any Black female traveler is that, one, you're a female traveler. And oftentimes when you're going to different destinations, different cultures, being female or being a woman can mean different things. And also being a Black traveler as well. So you may be having to deal with two different aspects of being a traveler that I think a white male is not going to have to deal with in many cases. So did you, find that, right. did, did you find that being a solo female traveler uh, mm -hmm. a challenge? I did. <laughs> and especially being a Black female singer, well, oftentimes, when you think about it, the people who would come to hear me sing, for the most part, are these executives from all over the world and, you know, some locals as well. So they see this Black female and they're making certain assumptions, <laughs> like maybe she's here just to entertain me. <laughs> and, you know, I would always be aware of the fact that I am female. I could easily be targeted. And so just a lot of the basic rules I would adhere to. For instance, you won't catch me walking around at night by myself you know, just unaccompanied or unescorted, even though a lot of the places are pretty safe and, you know, they look pretty safe. You just never know. So there are certain things I would just always, you know, just make sure that I was taking care of some basic things that I would do even in my own country. You know, I'm not going to walk around in the middle of the night by myself, just putting myself in harm's way. Also being female, I would 
maybe look at, I don't know what people's reactions to Black people in their own country really are, but I always acted as if I'm representing all the Black people in my country. <laughs> so wherever it's a habit I go, we have. <laughs> it's a habit. It's like, you're not going to catch me in any kind of weird situations. I really feel like here I am in this other country. I'm representing females. I'm representing Black women. I'm representing the striblings in my family. I mean, that might sound weird, but I kind of just carry myself in a way that I know they'd be proud. You know, oh, so that's kind of yeah. always in the back of my mind. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, being a Black woman, I never felt, maybe it's naive, but I never felt out of place in any place I've ever traveled. I think that's half the battle. I think a lot of times if we approach any situation or to a destination where we automatically feel out of place rather than saying, hello, here I am. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, because if you're going to make other, it a big then, deal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you're right. I think attitude. That's most of it right there. You fit in. If you feel like you fit in, you fit in. Right. To your point, when you make a step toward wanting to be in the culture, you find that the world kind of opens up to you. Not being naive, saying, you know, they don't recognize you as a Black person or as a female, but your attitude has a whole lot to do with it as well. I've never once been in a situation where I felt that people were being racist towards me. I've never once experience that. Not to say that racism doesn't exist, because you and I know it does. It so does. But I'm happy to report that's never in all of my travels. Not one time have I felt like, oh, if I wasn't Black, they wouldn't have treated me this way. I've never had that. That is very refreshing to hear. I mean, I have experienced that. I can't say that it's something that I experience all the time. But again, I have different experiences when I'm traveling on my own versus traveling right. professionally with my groups. And maybe it's the size of the groups and all of those things. So I, there have been some differences. But yeah, I think you navigate life anywhere you go. <laughs> You're going to have yeah. to do yeah. that. Yeah. But and I it's think funny. I mean, I've had the differences in Europe, but not in Asia. Yeah. I've definitely had it in Europe where, <laughs> you know, I'm traveling and all of a sudden people think it's a work trip. I'm like, what? Black women can't just come here on vacation? I'm on vacation. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like different assumptions that people make. Oh, absolutely. But I think the most important thing for traveling as a female is safety. Do you do yeah. a lot of research ahead of time before you travel to a destination to find out the culture of women or the do's and don'ts? I do. Yes. Oh my gosh, Yvonne. Well, the first time I kind of learned about the do's and don'ts, I had not done the research, but I found out quickly. I had gone to Kuala Lumpur, and this was the second time I was traveling in Asia, and it was a Hennessy-sponsored tour. And, you know, they had us going around to these various places in Asia, four days here, four days there, three days. And, you know, we're in Kuala Lumpur, and I didn't realize, you know, here's a Muslim country, and I had on this sexy top... <laughs> I mean, it was kind of low cut and, you know, I'm the singer. I dress however I want. And the person, I guess she was the one assigned to us from Kuala Lumpur kind of pulled me aside and said, this dribbling, this is a Muslim country and the women are very demure and very conservative. So if you don't mind, could you? She wanted me to cover up. Cover up. My top. <laughs> yeah, could you? Could you get a scarf or something to put around you? I said, Oh, sure. <laughs> I didn't realize that. But that was okay. I didn't take issue. I just didn't know. And so that was kind of a wake up call. But from then on, I did because I want to be respectful. I don't want to be up there disrespecting their culture in any way. I mean, I didn't wear a burqa or yeah. anything like that. And not all cultures I, require I that. Yeah. Not all Muslim yeah. cultures or Islamic cultures require that. Yeah. And that was a long time ago. That was 2002, I think it was. And at that particular time, they were very conservative, at least in the area where we were performing. So that was interesting. I wasn't expecting that. You know, it wasn't that provocative what I was wearing. It wasn't that bad <laughs> for me. I mean, 
our measuring stick is very different. <laughs> it's very different. I mean, I might have shown a little bit of cleavage, but it wasn't like boom, pow. <laughs> but I think that's a great segue because I want to talk to you about pillow talk. And of course, I've been on pillow talk. It's a very provocative relationship show. So let's add travel to the mix. And again, I've been on pillow talk and we've asked some of those questions, but it's time to turn the tables a little bit. And uh, I like it. <laughs> now, of course, you don't have to name names, <laughs> or you can, or you can change names. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> well, to protect well. the innocent. Exactly. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm ready. Now, what are some of these things that you may have witnessed in your travels? Because you do a lot of trips to concerts and things of that nature. And I think a lot of times when you're in this group environment and everyone's going and they're getting out of their comfort zone, have you seen any of those kinds of hookups where you can kind of sit back and say, hmm, I see what's going on here? Oh, Javon, <laughs> I just witnessed one. Oh, my gosh. I just came back from a cruise and I'm not going to name any names whatsoever, but there was a guy who was married, his wife was on the cruise in the cabin with him. And he liked another woman who was on the cruise and started a little situation with her. Didn't tell her that he was married or that his wife was on the cruise. So I don't know what this guy was thinking, but he had two situations going. And this is a seven day cruise. And I'm watching everything because I knew her, but I also knew him and his situation. She didn't know that he had his wife in the cabin. And I finally was happy when she did find out. You following me there? I am, but I'm trying to understand in his own cabin. <laughs> yes. So listen, this is the thing he would meet. And this was when I found out what was happening. I, of course, told my friend, the girl, it was one of my girlfriends. I was like, wait a minute, isn't he married? And isn't his wife on the trip? So the girlfriend was like, what? Yeah. So homeboy was only dating the friend, like on the very top. He goes, yeah, meet me up here. So apparently as soon as the wife, I guess she went to bed early and he wanted to hang out. As soon as she would go to sleep, he would creep out and hang out with the girlfriend trying to get a relationship going with her. That to me was so low. Not yeah. to be judgy. But <laughs> gosh, <laughs> I am like, talk about living on the edge. That was risky. That is crazy. So <laughs> when the girlfriend found out, she broke it off. Oh my gosh. But I'm thinking that, that could why? have gotten ugly and really messy on board where somebody may have wound up in the cruise, cruise prison. <laughs> Yes, or their cruise prison, cruise prison or overboard. Well, what about, you know, their relationships or their situationships? Do you have any tips for people who are traveling and romance for relationship or situationship? Yes. And oh, I've seen so many situationships where it'll just be kind of a we're together, but we're just together while we're both on this trip. <laughs> then we get back. And kind of, you know, just get back to our lives. I mean, people do different things. You know what I mean? Like, for instance, like, say the cruise, the trip that we have coming up. Sometimes people travel on their own and they just want to have fun. They don't want to necessarily have this lifelong romance with someone, but maybe they want to find companionship just for this particular vacation. People are grown and you get to do what you want. And it's just amazing how many people... Just kind of figure it out. You kind of make your own rules. So I've seen that. I've seen, you know, just the vacation boo. <laughs> and then, you you know, vacation's over and you, you know, might keep in touch a little bit. And no expectations. You just kind of live your life. My advice is figure out what you want. If that's just what you want, it's cool. I mean, you're an adult and you get to live your life the way you want to, but just be transparent about it. And that's all you're looking for. I think it's fair to be honest because you'll be surprised. There's somebody out there who wants the same thing as you, but please don't just string somebody else along and just to selfishly have your fun and then dump them at the end of the vacation. 
thank you so much for coming on Traveling Culturati and sharing your travel experiences. And we'll have to do it again. We'll take some sound bites while we're in Fiji to talk about our experiences together as well. Great. I would love that. And Javon, I am so happy to be on here with you. Thank you for inviting me. I love this show. And, you know, I don't know if you've got space available for people, but I do hope they come because the group, there are a lot of people who take your trips who are repeat customers, which speaks highly of what you do. They well, come back you. again and again and again. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. And yes, again, we're so looking forward to it. The WHUR World Tour continuing <laughs> in Fiji. And yes, we do still have a few spots left. Not a lot, but we do have a few spots left. We're going April 27th through Ooh. May 6th. Yes. And you can get more information on advantage-intl.com, or you can go over to whur.com as well. Excellent. Well, thanks again, Angela, for joining me today. Thank you, Javon. Can't wait to see you in Fiji. And when we come back, I have the culture report. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm Javon Harley, your host and travel pro. The website, TravelingCulturati.com. Go ahead and check it out. And while you're there, follow me on social media and join that travel club. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born from the arts, music, food, and sometimes politics and strife. This is the Culture Report. We're talking about breakfast. When it comes to breakfast, it's probably the one meal we're most routine about. When I'm home, it's an oat milk latte for me, and that's it. Occasionally, I will cook a full breakfast on the weekend, but even then, it's a late start after my oat milk latte. When I do make breakfast, I typically opt for bacon, eggs, either scrambled or fried, over hard, toast, and fruit. However, when I travel, I look forward to the international breakfast buffet. Yes, I look for American bacon, eggs scrambled or fried over hard, toast and fruit, but there's usually a much wider variety of fruit and breads that I enjoy trying out, especially the local ones. I'll often venture to see what others eat and what international options are available on the buffet. You can often find several different international options based on who the destination or hotel caters to or where the hotel is located. For example, in Dubai, you'll most likely find options for a typical Indian breakfast and, of course, an Arabic breakfast or Middle Eastern breakfast. Then there's the English breakfast that's offered almost everywhere you go. A typical breakfast in India varies depending on the region, but is often quite similar to a lunch or dinner. A breakfast plate in India might include roti or that flat bread. Dosas, which is a thin crepe that's made with lentils, so it's a savory crepe, or idlis, which is steamed rice dough pancakes. And then there's different dips and chutneys as well as spiced potatoes. I love those spiced potatoes. I love their breads like puri in an unleavened fried Indian bread that's made with water. It's finer and coarser than wheat flour, and occasionally it has cumin seeds, but I just like that crunch and I like that flavor. Now, Arabic or Middle Eastern breakfast consists of hummus, falafel, samoon, pita bread, shakshuka, which I absolutely love. I'll talk about that a little bit later, too. Or a Persian omelet, which is usually a little thinner and has some herbs in it. You also find olives, honeys, and other dips, which I love. Yes, hummus for breakfast. It's very healthy, very good for you, and very refreshing. Typically with me, as the week goes on, I get more and more international and kind of abandon my go-tos just because I want to try something different. And sometimes I like it even better. It gives me more sustenance or it's fresher or it's lighter fare. American breakfast can sometimes be a bit heavy. Now, English breakfast is a dish that consists of a number of different things. They have the back bacon. There's the British sausage that's called a banger. Yeah, a banger. 
baked beans, or like we like to call pork and beans, that's what they look like to us, and a fried tomato, which I typically like, fried mushrooms, which I also enjoy, black pudding. Now, if you don't know what black pudding is, that's like a blood sausage, and toasted bread. Now, of course, they can vary depending on where you are in Great Britain. So let's talk about bacon, because like I said, bacon means different things to different people. (laughs) And certainly for Americans, we're very particular about our bacon, self-included. I remember a trip to South Africa, the bacon on the breakfast buffet was what I call soggy or wet. I, along with many Americans, like our bacon strips very crispy. You know, the fat has to be crisped up and it should not still be white. (laughs) Should be pretty transparent or just dark or you can't tell the difference. Now, not like our neighbors to the north, the Canadian bacon. Now, the difference between Canadian bacon is that it comes from the back and the American bacon comes from the belly, which has a bit more fat and the cut is different. You know, that Canadian bacon is in a circle. We like to call it ham, (laughs) not bacon, (laughs) but Canadians call it bacon. They even call it Canadian bacon, just so that we're clear that it is bacon. But I find in many countries, the bacon that's on the buffet is not Canadian bacon. It's bacon strips, but way undercooked for my taste and for many American tastes, at least for my groups. I will say that. So back to South Africa, I asked if I could have some crispy bacon and have the bacon from the buffet cooked a little bit more, or I can order bacon to order. The server said, do you mean cracklin'? (laughs) Hmm, (laughs) no, to Americans, cracklin' is something different. It's the pork skin that is then just deeply fried and it's very hard, but that's what she thought that I wanted. And she actually brought me some, which was quite nice. (laughs) And I did thank her and I did eat it. But by the end of the trip, she understood what I was saying. And then I started seeing bacon, crispy bacon on the buffet, but they do call it crackling and it is a little thicker and it is that deep fried, but it was yummy. I will tell you that. Now, on another trip, this is a group trip I did to Australia. Our entire group, there was about 50, I think, of the group members. So when we descended upon the breakfast room, we took up practically the entire breakfast room as we were touring. So we all kind of went around the same time. So the entire group was asking for crispy bacon or well-done bacon. And I guess the kitchen and restaurant crew got tired of us asking for it. So by the third morning, there was crispy bacon on the buffet. We didn't need to ask for it. And again, I think they typically cater to the British and other Australians who like their bacon just cooked, not crispy. Another staple is eggs. And there are many ways to have an egg. Of course, there's boiled and fried with many degrees of doneness, scrambled with cheese or omelet and Benedict, so forth and so on. But typically they will scramble eggs either on the buffet or on the buffet and just kind of leave them there in a warming dish. But for me, there's something about eggs sitting out in the warming tray that I just can't do. And because there's so many ways to have an egg, there's usually a cooking station or a cook to order egg station, or you can order it table side. You'll also find varying types of pancakes around the world. Thick and fluffy, like we like here in the United States. Thin and savory, crepe style, mostly in Europe. And then there's the French toast and Belgian waffles. Another American tradition, not highly favored in other countries, is the syrup on pancakes. Others typically will do a light sugar or a powdered sugar and sometimes a butter. Now, we like butter and syrup. And when I say we, (laughs) self-included. And I like those big fluffy pancakes, especially the ones that take up the whole pan. Now, I find I'm not much of a sweet or cakey breakfast person. I usually go for the savory. So let's talk about what some breakfast may look like around the world. I find in most European countries, while there are differences, of course, you'll usually find a selection of cold cuts, salami, cheeses, a salad, and yogurt. Yes, I find that I like to have salad for breakfast. It's a good option. Now, their yogurt often will come in a small jar, and it's more or less like a thick liquid because you can shake it up. Very different than what we're used to here. You won't find as many flavored yogurts, and even the ones that are flavored aren't really sweet like ours are here. Now, especially in Greece, you're going to get 
plain yogurt. It's a little sour, but I kind of like that taste. And you just put some honey and walnuts or something like that on top. Now in Switzerland, they have a braided egg bread similar to challah or brioche. And that's pretty much the centerpiece of any Swiss brunch. It's called Zopf. And then in Ethiopia, they have Geno, which is a thick porridge. And sorry, is it Geno or Geno? Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. But it's a thick porridge that's eaten for breakfast in Ethiopia. It's made with barley, wheat, and corn flour. And in Japan, you'll find salmon or mackerel, miso soup, pickled vegetables. I love those little pickled vegetables. And rice are typically part of the traditional breakfast. You'll also find some different dumplings. I love when I go to Japan or some other international buffets where they will have a Japanese selection and they have these steaming pots, you know, the bamboo pots and you lift them up and they have all kinds of wonderful dumplings inside. Yes, I love that for breakfast. Now, Iceland, I'm not so fond of theirs. Cod liver oil. Yes, cod liver oil. Now, though, I'm sure they're very healthy with their omega-3 fatty acids, but because they have a big fishing industry, that's something that they use to start off their day. Plus, it's cold there, so maybe that really helps. They may be onto something, but I don't know. Cod liver oil? No, I don't think I can do it. Singapore, they have kaya toast. It's kind of like a toasted sandwich spread, and it's a sweet jam made with a coconut milk, eggs, and sometimes pandan leaf or a bright green color and flavor. And then there's Morocco. They have bagheer. It's thin, yeasted rounds that have tiny little holes and are served with butter and honey. And then in Argentina, they have facturas or media lunas. It's a croissant that's shaped brioche pastry and bombas or fried donuts. That's what they typically have for breakfast in Argentina. In Brazil, they have bolo de fuba, which is a cornbread style cake. It's kind of like wet cornbread, but it has a creamy texture. And then they grate Parmesan and shredded coconut on it. Now in Jamaica, that's one of my favorites, ackee and salt fish. So if you've never had ackee and salt fish, you have to try it. It was many years before you could get ackee in the United States because if you don't know how to open the fruit, ackee is a fruit, it can be poisonous, but it's a pear-shaped fruit. And when you open it inside, it's a yellow texture. And when it's sauteed, it looks like scrambled eggs, but it's not, it's a fruit. And then they saute it with salted cod, tomatoes, some garlic, some make it pretty spicy, which I really like. And then some onion. Oh my goodness. It's sweet. It's salty. It's spicy. I need to go back to Jamaica. I haven't been to Jamaica in a long time. And I really look forward to ackee and saltfish. They usually only have it one day a week when you're going there on the breakfast buffet. So you have to find out what day they're having that. I have many more that I would love to share with you, but I think my time is up. But I did ask our social media following, what did they like for breakfast? And many people agreed with me because I shared mine and said that it was the Aki and Saltfish in Jamaica. And many people shared their photos of their breakfast. But I love Carrie Smith, who said, a margarita. Yes, because when you're traveling, it's five o'clock somewhere. (laughs) Thank you for that, Carrie. (laughs) I just love discovering what's for breakfast when I travel from fresh squeezed fruit juices to dumplings. There's so many options. So on your next international journey, take a trip throughout the international buffet. Well, that's it for the show today. Wherever you go, go with all your heart. Confucius. Ladies and gentlemen. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Ladies and gentlemen.